Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we talk about self-control. Okay. <laughs> and this is actually going to be a short series, um, but it's on a much needed topic. Um, but it's also one that's not real popular with people because mm-hmm. it's talking about self-control and most people um will immediately become convicted over it. Uh, it. It really, though, is a huge problem in many lives, and it's one of the core problems that, as pastors, we find ourselves addressing. So, um, examples. Couples will come to see us um, because they're not remaining pure in their uh, unmarried relationship. Uh, debt is common in Christian households to the point that it's joked about and commonly accepted. Um, but that's an issue of self-control. Drug use, alcohol abuse are more common than people wish to admit. Sexual sin, even within marriage, is actually very commonplace. Gluttony is a sin that we just simply choose not to discuss in most circles. Gossip, slander abound in many other church circles. Laziness is accepted in many workplaces now as a part of life. Emotions are out of control, whether it be anxiety or anger, they dominate people's lives. All of these though, we would argue is simply the fruit of a lack of self-control in one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And on this topic, you know, I guess I suppose you have to preface it out by saying beginning things is something that's very easy to do. Very right? easy. Um, it can be scary because it, it represents a new beginning, but it's, it's still fairly easy to start something new. Usually a new beginning represents a new chapter in your life, for instance. And so, uh, I mean, this could be starting college, moving out for the first time, starting a new job, entering the military, getting engaged, getting married. Uh, the list can go on and on. And sometimes when a person makes a decision like that to begin something new, it's praiseworthy. Uh, yeah. and, and why? Well, because it's, it's a hard decision and it carries many potential consequences. Um, however, though, <laughs> starting is easy, ending, not so easy, right? Well, ending well. Ending well. That, that's a good qualification. Yeah. Many, many a person has made a hard decision and, and made it well. Uh, they're starting a good thing that is, uh, frankly, a hard thing to start. They had people praise them. They entered into a new decision with a smile of excitement, with anticipation. But because they did not exercise self-control in that, it ended poorly. Um, and so to end well, we would just say here, means it requires that you must be self-disciplined. Exercising self-control over much, if not all of your life. And so to end well means to have a path that's planned and then to stay on that path. Uh, to end well means to know what is a good and God-focused goal and then pursuing that as if your life depended on it. Yeah. In fact, I remember uh, listening to Dr. Erwin Lutzer. He was a pastor of Moody Church. And he once said that word order means a lot in English. By simply moving a word around a little in the sentence, major meanings can be changed. So by way of example, he gave uh, the idea of 
pointing out the defi- that the def- definition of two words, effective and efficient, are very similar, but with word order, they're slightly changed. So efficient, he said, is doing things right. Effective is doing the right things. Same words, but it, ch- it, it emphasizes what's different between efficient versus effective. So... Again, we're pastors. We make that clear in so many of our podcasts. And one of the jobs we're responsible for as pastors is to disciple future leaders. Um, and this can be extremely difficult if the goal is to raise up godly leaders. Right. I mean, if we're just creating leaders. Effective leaders. Yeah. I mean, there's books that abound out in the business world on how to be an effective leader. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do with being a godly leader. And I I would say now, having done this for almost three decades, including my time in L.A., that only one or two out of ten people actually seem to make it when you invest that time. And and as we discuss this, uh, Matt and I have both realized it really comes down to decisions that are made that are related really to self-discipline or self-control. What we want to do is we want to raise up men who are known for doing the right things more than doing things right. Mm. Um, This is not as hard as many seem to make it uh, out to be the idea of doing the right thing. Usually a simple question will be all that's needed. And I do it a lot. Uh, What is the right thing for you to do in this situation? They'll come to me, pastor, I don't know what to do. And I'll listen to them. I'm like, well, what do you think is the right thing? And they'll look at me a little nervous and they'll almost always have the right answer. They know what's right. Uh, But the real question is not if they can figure out what the right thing is. It's whether there's the courage to do the right thing simply because it's the right thing. And that is going to take Mm self-control. And I can give an illustration from my own life because when I was a young man, I had a life that was marked with no self-control. Only if I was interested in something would I focus on it. And the result of it was really a a pathway littered with good intentions that went bad. And there's much shame still that I find as I remember those things. When I started college, um, I had no desire to go to college. I had no no intention in, in what I wanted to do. And so I wasted my father's money for two years. Ultimately, I ended up being fired from my job for theft. I ended up at the end of all this with no job, no reputation, and I left uh, Idaho with a 1.9 GPA. That's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I actually moved out of my home and to start a new life in Houston, Texas, and that's where I began to really just grow up. And and that, that was done through so many difficult things that God put in my life. They're all unpleasant. Um, but they were also all very good. And what it was was God breaking me before himself. And 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 I began to finally begin to show uh, some true repentance. It was there that God was kind, uh, so kind to me. He let me meet my future wife, Kim. And, uh, and in all of that, I began to have a vision uh, and actually even a desire to preach the word. And all of that happened because I heard some guy on the radio named John MacArthur preach. And I so desired to be able to do what he was doing. Um, And so long story short, what we did was we moved to Los Angeles for the purpose of me going to school to do that. And what happened from there was 10 years of effort. Um, When we went, I had to start all over. None of those credits um, transferred, nothing. (laughs) Um, 
And so here was my life. College was 18 credit hours per semester. All the while, I was working at least 40 hours a work week, and I had a three-hour commute round trip. My final semester of college was mind-numbing. It was 32 credits, and yet God was kind, and I was able to graduate with a 4.0 GPA. Later, uh, we moved to the valley, um, San Fernando Valley, meaning, and I had Kim, and by now, we had two children, and I was able to get a job close to the seminary. But that required 60 hours per week minimum. I had two more children. Meantime, I also became the chaplain in the L.A. jail system, and that necessitated me preaching four to eight times every week, and all of that along with seminary. So what was the difference that I could do that kind of a workload and do it well, as opposed to when I was younger and I was going to college back in Idaho? The difference was really this. It was a submission to the Lord, a submission to his word, and the learning how to discipline myself. And so I would describe those years as exhaustion. That's, that's the key word. Uh, there were so many times I would hear my children playing in the next room, and all I wanted to do was go out, get on my knees, and just have a tickle fight. And instead, I would put on what I called my shooting ear protectors. Uh, I also became a police officer and all of that. Um, you know, those ear protectors when you're on the shooting range. I would put those over me, my ear so I couldn't hear so that I could go back to work and focus. <coughs> Excuse me. Sleep was not an option until my work was done. I had to make that determination. Well, well Why? Simply put, it's because I was a young man who had developed a terrible habit of quitting short of the goal, and my life had been littered with things that were not finished. And so I was a man very easily distracted, and therefore starting many and finishing none but the least important project. So make no mistake, it was, it was tempting countless times to cut short my education. I had so many different opportunities to get out of school and start ministry without finishing. Uh, the, and, and you have no idea the level of the battle that would go on in my heart when each of those opportunities came. They were battles that only me and the Lord know about. Um, and, and I would also say that there were countless small failures and countless times I would reconfess and reorient myself back to that path. But what drove me was this simple conviction, and that is that it was very easy to start well. I was famous for starting, uh, but even easier to start. And for some people, it's even easier to start poorly. They can start down a dumb path. Uh, but it's very hard to end well. And so I would tell myself, literally, I would sometimes yell at myself, shut up, Matt, and just do it. Don't give excuses. Don't give yourself any way out. Just finish it. I had to learn to be ruthless. And this is how I started my ministry actually here at our church as pastor. Um, I came in brand new pastor to a difficult situation. And I was determined to finish it. And I wanted to finish it in a manner that glorified God. Now, that might not make me happy. It might not make the church happy. But I wanted to seek to honor the Lord as pastor. Now, that might have meant closing the church down or leaving after a few years because I was forced to, or Lord willing, dying here as a pastor. I didn't know. All I knew is I needed to do it right. And honestly, it's still something that drives me. Yeah. Well, that's a great, uh, a very good illustration. Now, having said that, what you just described there, 
and I think you would agree, could be repeated by many people though who are not Christians, right? Yeah. Um, and so the question that we want to talk about is is what's what's the difference? Um, what's the difference there between what what you just described and any person just developing a personal habit of self discipline? You can go to Barnes and Noble and get fifty books on yep. the art of self discipline. Well, we would say the difference is perspective and motivation. Um, the, the perspective for a, a biblical self-control, and this is kind of key here, <laughs> it's what we're going to develop today, but the, the perspective for biblical self-control is that it has eternity as its focus. Um, the, the motive is that it's a willful submission, and that's the key word, willful submission to the Word of God as the will of God. And Bill Gates cannot teach you that. No. No, no, no. TED Talk can teach you that. <laughs> no, they, they can inspire you. But they will not teach you to submit to God. Right. Um, and, and that can't be missed. So we, we talk in churches and online all the time about the need for spiritual disciplines, things like such like prayer, Bible reading, biblical meditation. But what's, the question is, what is underlying all of those things? <laughs> um, is, is it self-discipline? Um, because if not, they won't happen. Right. Right. Um, and, well, I'm just thinking how many people have already reneged on their New Year's resolution? Right. We're what, May? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How many of you made it out of January? You know? <laughs> right. Um, and, and so, in light of all this, our, our hope here today is to just simply lay out the need for self control in the life of a Christian, and then we'll develop how that is going to be done over the next few episodes here, Lord willing. Okay, so the need for self-control. Now, the first point is the big point. Uh, eternity, meaning your soul, actually hangs on self-discipline, and you can't miss it. And don't disparage the infinite value of your soul when you're thinking about giving up. Uh, Mark 8, 36 and 7 says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul. And yet how many have suffered the infinite loss of their soul and the joy of eternal life with God because they did not exercise true biblical self-control? And no, I'm not talking about works. In Luke 12, you actually know the story. It's the story of that successful farmer. And remember how this man was a person who was very self-disciplined in the ways of the world. He had faithfully planted and cared for his crops, and now he's going to reap this massive, massive uh, harvest. And so from the world's perspective, he was a successful farmer, and he's looking to a successful harvest. But unknown to him, the Lord had ordained that it was too late. And so in verses 19 to 21, it says this, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, drink, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will be own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God or self-disciplined, I would even argue, toward God. Yeah. So we'll work through a couple, pa some passages here. So listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Paul writing says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Therefore run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air. 
but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul here, he understood the foolishness of sin, but also the deceitfulness of it. Uh, how, how it hardens a heart and draws it away from the beauty of Jesus Christ alone. His, his answer in this text is self-control. Um, to refuse to allow his body to be that, that final determiner of what he will do or what he won't do. Uh, so he was a man who would daily, and you can, you can just hear it in the tone of his words, he would daily set his face before the Lord to serve him and to love him with all of his mind and his body and his strength. Um, but then notice what he was, notice that he was focused. He was very focused on something specific, namely a prize, uh, that which is imperishable, as he calls it, which is eternal life, life with God, participating in watching him set all things right for all eternity. Um, it's a life entering into his master's immeasurable joy. And so when he faced hostility and violence, he would remind himself of what he wrote in Romans 8.18, for instance, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. That's a good one. Uh, another favorite is actually a couple passages in Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15. Combine them with 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 4. First, the Hebrews one. Uh, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Now, we often overlook that passage, um, and we treat holiness in an exceedingly casual manner. Um, this is not talking about that initial setting apart that occurs at salvation. Um, it's the entire, rather, the entire context of Hebrews is about persevering in the gospel by growing in grace and knowledge and godliness. And the point that the writer is making here is that though we may claim Christ, it is through persevering and a sanctified life that we will see him. And so with that in mind, because that's painful to hear, because people are like, no, no, I just, I, I just need the gospel. It's like, yeah, and that gospel will sanctify you if it's truly in you. Uh, now, now think about that when we read from 1 John. This is chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Now, a lot of people want to just stop right there. And he says, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, we can stop right there and say, this is a very happy passage. He ends it this way. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And so he immediately negates that, that if your life is marked by purifying because Christ is pure, therefore your life must be, then you will see him. But if not, then you're a man of lawlessness. And so we see the connection of, of the coming of Christ and the pursuit of holiness. Um, we could say it this way. Only when we see the coming of Christ as supreme in our hearts and desires, and only when we see that we shall never enjoy eternity with Jesus without sanctification or holiness or purity, will the message of self-control ever make sense. Yeah. Uh, another passage on this topic to consider is 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Paul 
commands, or Peter exhorts her, he says, therefore gird your mind for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, now in this passage, the main point here, the main command is to fix your hope. Uh, again, it's a command. This is not a suggestion. It, it, <laughs> it is the practical duty of every Christian to cultivate a type of hope that's persevering and confident and disciplined. But then notice what he says, fixed on what? Well, fixed on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so here we have that same concept that we saw as in Hebrews 12 and then also the first John 3 you just did. But now he's saying it in a positive manner. It's, it's reminding them of that grand and glorious promises of, of God and that at the return of Jesus, they shall enjoy those promises and blessings to the fullest. Now, what's, what is that grace that he's speaking of? Um, well, this is why verse 13 starts out with the word therefore. <laughs> so it's, it's pointing back to now everything that he just said in verses 2 through 12. So just to give you a summary, um, he, he talked about God's saving foreknowledge, um, the Spirit's sanctifying work, the blood of Christ, the mercy of the Father, the new birth, the living hope through Christ's resurrection. He speaks of an unfading inheritance kept safe in heaven, uh, the reality that we ourselves are kept safe by God. The fact that suffering is revealing the true faith, uh, that persevering in one's um, persevering in in one's love and faith in Christ, and so all of these things are the grace that he's speaking of. Um, grace is all of these things, but then it's modified. He goes on by, to modify it by these two participles. He says, "Girding your minds." Now, what does that mean? Well, it's the idea of tying the tunic out. I mean, they'd wear these tunics, yeah, almost like long dresses, yeah. but. Um, it's, it's tying that out of the way so that you can effectively travel or labor uh, or fight. Um, it's the idea of being able to take all those distractions that are thrown at you and then tuck them in. And so there's no loose ends, in other words. Yeah, so your mind is not all over the place. You have to learn to discipline your mind. To a singular focus. Yeah, and that's hard. Yes. Um, By the way, parents start <laughs> teaching that when they're two. You know, just teach them when they're picking up toys and and two seconds later, they're playing with those said toys. You know, you need to discipline them and train them so that they understand when it's time to pick up toys. That's their task. You're, you're going to help them when they're 15 and when they're 30. Trust me. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's the first participle, the, the girding your mind. But then the second way to do that is this keeping sober-minded. Um at times, this this word will, of course, speak of things like alcohol and drunkenness. But here, it's speaking of a mind mindset, which is more common use, and it's that's the more common use of it. Um, it's, in other words, an attitude of seriousness, um, the opposite of amusement, so to speak. Um, so, in in chapter four, verse seven, he'll say, "The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer." Uh, so it's, it's the idea of keep frivolity in perspective. Why? Because the end is, is near. Stop being distracted by lesser things, in other words. Uh, in chapter 5 and verse 8, he'll then say, Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Why your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What's the implication? Well, a lack of seriousness allows Satan room to affect you. <laughs> Uh, and we don't think that way. Um, we can speak to this personally as we try to 
discipline and train up people or disciple and, and train up people. Yeah. Um, a lack of seriousness and a willingness to tie down those loose ends are constant points of friction in people's lives. Yeah. We, I mean, when you're discipling somebody frequently, if you're truly more mature, what's hard is when you see an immature man trying to disciple an immature man, it's like, well, you, you can't really. It's like rubbing two wet sticks. Yeah. To it's not going to happen. Um, but when a truly mature man is training somebody and discipling them, it's going to annoy him because he's going to call them. And he's going to keep calling them on the fact that they're not being faithful here, faithful there. And then there's another uh, huge passage that uh, should be considered in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 down to verse 11. Now, pay attention because the end is where it's really important. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Why? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither, neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now listen carefully. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never, never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, what's going on there? A lot, and we, we can't get into it all. But it starts out with this idea of moral excellence, that your faith should supply moral excellence. So your faith is speaking of that idea that you've come to faith, that you are now a believer. And now what do you do with that? You're a brand new baby Christian. Well, the first step, and, and it is, each one of these is naturally built on the one that comes before it. So the very first step is you must be a believer. But having done that, you need this moral excellence, or yeah, the English Standard Version calls it virtue. It's actually a hard word to translate into English. It, 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 it's used to describe actually military acts of valor or bravery. And, and this is the point of our whole podcast. It's, it's this determination to make the brave decision or the right decision yeah, right, right. for the right reason. That though you might lose an entire world, it doesn't matter because you gain Jesus and that's worth it. But without that moral courage, the natural progression that Peter then gives will not occur. And sadly, that's what happens is most people are not willing to have that courage. So they, they start well, but then they start to find out, man, this is going to cost me this relationship or this job or this whatever it can be. And now the second guessing and the fear comes in and, and they fall short and they fail. And um, it, it's sad, but it's right here where most people will begin to break down. And so from there, he just quickly says, once you've made that virtuous decision to be brave, if you will, the next thing you're going to want and naturally desire is knowledge because now you're starting to realize you don't know what the heck to do. <laughs> I mean, you, you lack knowledge. So you begin to gain knowledge. Well, what does your knowledge do? It begins to create for you opportunities to exercise self-control. Why? Because now you know what you need to do or not do. Now, 
what does self-control produce as its exercise? It exercises and produces perseverance. And that perseverance is where godliness finally comes. So there's multiple steps before you actually become a godly man or woman. And a lot of people then say, oh, I've arrived. No. He says, true godliness will then make for brotherly kindness, which ultimately culminates in true love. And that's the key point. Now, he says, if these things are yours, then you are neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of this is premised off the description of what God has accomplished. So hear it well. Because God has already furnished everything pertaining to life and godliness, which he says in verse 3, he says, now go fight for that. God has given it to you, so fight for it. He doesn't say you got it, so just sit there like a lump and somehow all happen. It's fight for it. Push forward, push onward, never give up, never give ground, never allow yourself to forget those magnificent promises that are found in the gospel. And so in verse 8, he gives a reason to do all of this. He says, for if you do it, as I said, you will neither be useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then verse 9 warns you. He says, for if you don't, now, let me, let me get to that. Uh, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So he now gives you that strong warning. Um, in other words, there's no such thing as simply coasting. Uh, I always say this. It's really better to see this drifting, and it will always be drifting away. The only way you can coast is if it's downhill. Um, and then verses 10 through 11 give such good encouragement, but notice how it's all built upon this idea of self-control. He said, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent of making certain about his calling and choosing you. Why? For as long as you practice these things, and that requires self-control and diligence, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. This is why I, I think we're saying it with absolute certainty. Self-control is all about eternity. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you will not find the way to eternal life or the eternal kingdom here abundantly supplied. You won't even know your way to find it at all. And so take that encouragement of why ought I begin to say no to certain things and yes to other? Why must I fight for certain things in battle? Because... The eternal kingdom is surprise, but he says run, or Paul would say run that race like you're going to win it. And that means you say no and no and no a lot. Yeah, yeah even the, the the word perseverance carries the idea of, it, of there's something difficult going on there. Yeah. You're, you're persevering through it. Yeah. Um, so, and then also in, in all these things, to me, this is why convictions are so important. You know, we, we, we talk about convictions as just basic things we believe, but unless those things you believe control you, you're going to lose. Well, and that go back to that list and you'll find that you have moral courage that then leads to knowledge. You seek knowledge, which is where the convictions are built, yeah. right? And as you develop those convictions, as you act on them faithfully, self-control, he says, is the result. Yeah. So absolutely. Yes. So self Discipline, we would say, is not something to prove to you, <laughs> nor is it something to prove to the world the power of your own will. Uh, it's, it's not something that exists to show your goodness or your wisdom. Uh, when we see that God is, is truly our delight, 
We will willfully and joyfully set aside pursuits that offer nothing in the end. Uh, we will willingly and, and joyfully restrain ourselves and commit ourselves to God's glory um, because it'll be our passion. Yeah. Uh, so many, so we would just say here, may we all learn what it means therefore to run a race of life, not with a sour face or you know teeth gritting endurance, but rather clear eyed, God infused, you got a big grin, life <laughs> or a smile on your face is your self-discipline bringing all of what we are and do under the the lord lordship of of god who's lord of heaven and earth um so next time we're going to try and develop this this is our dipping our feet in it yeah you know. we're trying to create for you a taste for this and say i don't do that very well <laughs> okay then listen listen to the next several podcasts as we try to unpack a much maligned idea that the Bible talks about self-discipline. So understand, we're just trying to create taste in your mouth here, but also to have you understand, we're not just inventing this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> certainly not. So until then, make sure to tune in, uh, join this conversation. We would love to hear your thoughts on self-control. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell all your friends. Mm -hmm.